Well, I'm in a bad mood now. <laughs> Turn in your Bibles! <laughs> Reprobates! First Samuel 22. Well, nuts. He, uh, you know, back and uh, he lost his connection and stuff, so this just wasn't meant to be. But anyway, you pick up one of his cards. First Samuel chapter 22. We're going to finish up uh, our series out of chapter 22 today, which we have titled A Disorderly Story. Pay attention. Here we go. There we go. Technology is not my friend. We've been using the movie A Christmas Story to kind of well, kind of like a move in some of the subjects we've talked about. Uh, we're just try one more clip. We'll see if it works. If it doesn't, we're going to throw the whole system away. Uh, but we've talked about that the movie A Christmas Story. Most people think it's a movie about a guy, a young boy trying to get a BB gun. It's not. It's really a, a disorderly story. It's really a story of a young boy's eyes becoming open. It's really this, this disillusionment and this shocking of what the world is really all about and how ugly the world can truly be. So today we're going to go to the scene, and I'm going to dare you. We're going to go to one of the most famous scenes of the movie. It's only about a minute and a half long where I triple dog dare you. Why is that a surprise? Did you push the video button on the uh, soundboard? Either way, you know it. He gets his tongue stuck to it. Want me to restart it? Either way, you've, you've seen the story before. You've all watched it. It's on endlessly during Christmas. But anyway. You know, like sometimes to change a disorderly story, to change your life story, you're going to have to take a risk. You have to take a chance on somebody. And I have yet to find anybody that's better to take a chance on than Jesus. Because that's an amazing thing that when you find your life in completely disarray and a disorderly story, you will take a chance on so many things. You'll take a chance on a self-help seminar. You'll take a chance on Tony Robbins. You'll take a chance on Oprah. And then finally, after everything doesn't work and everything's a complete failure, your life is a complete chaos and it's a disaster, then you come to Jesus and go, here's my life, this mess that I made out of it, and then we finally come to Jesus. I want to encourage you, before your life hits rock bottom, before you have nothing left to turn to, before everything, before the entire known technological world turns its back on you and stabs you in the back, before all of that, Try Jesus. Jesus has never been offline. He's never disappointed me. And he's never not shown up. And he's never not had the volume up. <laughs> hey, let me give you this. If you take me notes today, let's get into this. My story, thought, is this. My story has changed when I opened my eyes to God's plan. When I opened my eyes to God's plan. Do you remember that moment when your eyes are finally open? And when you realize that... Uh, my daughter turned 13, and so we had a blatant open talk finally about the guy in the red suit. And so all these years I hadn't really said anything until finally on her 13th birthday we finally decided to have to talk. And she's like, well, come on, Dad, I'm not stupid. 
I, I did the math. I could realize it and stuff, which is sad because Reagan at 13 still believed. But anyway. So anyways, you remember that time when your eyes are open? I mean, this young man had to see how cruel the world is when he gets his tongue stuck out in the pole. All of his buddies that triple dog dared him ran off. And they leave him there. You're completely disillusioned by people. Oh, I remember the third grade. Mrs. Stenius. I was in love. She had long black hair. I have a thing for long black hair. She was so beautiful. I was going to marry her. The Mrs. part didn't bother me. I don't know why I didn't think about that, but it was Mrs. Stenius. That part didn't bother me. But there was a time when, this was during the 70s, it was a different time, and I had to go to the teacher's uh, lounge to get something and everything, and there she was, and I walked in, and I saw Mrs. Stenius in the teacher's lounge, in the school building, by the way, in the school building, and she was smoking. And I was heartbroken, and I said, because I can't marry a smoker, my mom wouldn't allow it. <laughs> Apparently I could marry a woman already married, but that was <laughs> What's the theme to your story? Is it chaos, confusion? Is it complete despair? Is it constantly going from one drama situation to another? I want to encourage you to open your eyes. I want to dare you today. I want to dare you to follow Jesus. In 1 Samuel 22, David's eyes are completely open. No longer does he have hope for his best friend's dad, Saul, to come back. No longer is Saul just having a bad day and he's taking it out on people around him. He now sees Saul for what he really saw as a murderer. There's no chance now David could ever go back to Saul. If Saul will kill Ahimelech and the priests, 85 priests and all of their families like we saw in this chapter, what will he do to David? David has his eyes open. As we just kind of jump into this thought, there's three things about having your eyes open. Number one, I can see reality. I can see reality. Uh, that's why so many people do drugs and alcohol and, and get high, because they want to numb themselves from the reality of their situation. They don't want to see everything the way they're... That's why a lot of ladies end up marrying a knucklehead, because they want to live in delusion, and they don't want to see him the way he really is. Let me tell you, the greatest reality today... Here's the greatest reality today. The greatest reality today is that you can be saved. The greatest reality is that you can have hope. And the only hope you can have is through Jesus. We started our service with Titus 2.13, looking for that blessed hope and glorious appearance of the great God, our Savior, Jesus Christ. The world is dark and despair and evil and depressing. There's nothing good in the world. But the only hope for tomorrow, the only hope from today comes in Jesus Christ. I want to encourage you to take a chance. I want to dare you today to follow Jesus and to put your hope in Jesus. If you've never accepted Christ, this would be a good day to do it. But if you're here and you're a believer, if you're just sort of a nominal Christian in name only, I want to dare you to go all in with Jesus today. Yeah. Number two, when I open my eyes, I can face my problems. Hey, Christian, David will say this in the 23rd Psalm. Yea, if I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I do it alone. That's not what he says. Thou art with me. Even during times like death, listen, I could list off a lot of things, but is there anything worse than death? God is with you. I can face whatever problem comes. Number three, I can move on. Christianity is a moving relationship. Do you know what a rut is? A rut is a grave with both sides knocked out. And the problem is we stay in our rut. We stay where we're at because... We're comfortable with it. 
I know what to expect, and I know I know not following Jesus very well. I know this. I know I know I'm I'm, I'm involved with a disorderly man, and I know all this. I, I, but I'm used to this. I'm used to the abuse. I'm used to the drugs. I'm used to the problem. This is what I'm used to. Do you really want to live in a rut? Is that really what you want to do? And instead of staying in the rut where you are, why don't you take a chance and put your trust in Jesus? Relationships all are about moving forward. Oh, don't believe me? How many of you ladies, when you wake up, you don't put your makeup on immediately, do you? Do you? Oh, when I was dating my wife, I never saw her without makeup. When we were dating, she'd be there. We'd go out sometimes go to breakfast before class. And then she always had makeup on and everything. And after our honeymoon night, I looked over and, who are you? <laughs> now she'll go weeks sometimes without putting makeup on her. Ladies, you don't do that anymore, do you? You let him see the real you. don't wear your war paint anymore. You let him see the real you. Some of you in here, your husband, your husband knows your real hair color. <laughs> Sir, don't ever tell that. Listen, Christianity is about moving forward. It's a growing relationship. Take a chance. I triple, double, dog dare you today to follow Jesus. You know what? I dare you today to forgive somebody. I didn't say restore them. I didn't say bring them back if they're harmful. I dare you today to forgive somebody who's hurt you. Your ex-wife, your ex-mother-in-law, your husband. Your mom, I dare you to forgive them today. I dare you to break a habit. We're coming up to New Year, right? That's when everybody makes a, a new decision to try. Don't do it then. I dare you this week to break a habit. Now, if it's about dieting, do that after Thanksgiving. <laughs> you have a special dispensation. There you go. But listen, if it's forgiving or breaking a habit, you're going to have to take a risk. I haven't found anything better to, to, to risk on than Jesus. David's eyes are open. And because of that, he's going to have to take a risk. If you're taking notes, we're going to see four things that are new that God gives David. God gives David four new things. Number one, he gives him a new role. Look at verse 20. And one of the sons of Ahimelech, the son of Abutu, named Abathar, escaped and fled after David. All the priests and their families were killed. Even the children, it says, verse 19. What a horrible, gruesome, <laughs> gruesome event that took place. Even the children escaped, well, killed, but one escaped, Abathar. And up until this time, it was David who was doing the running. It was David who was counting on other people to help him. But now David has a new role. Now it is David who will be the protector and the comforter. Eventually, your roles in your life change. As a parent, eventually the parent-child relationship changes. Some of you right now understand that because you have become the parent and your parents have become the child and you are making decisions for them. I cannot wait for that same day. I cannot wait for the time when my children have to start making decisions. I just can't wait till they all move out. I, I, I can't wait for that moment my son gets his own place. I'm going over there every day. I'm going to break in if I have to. I'm going to leave his refrigerator door open. I'm going to turn the heat and air on at the same time and open every window. <laughs> leave every light on in the house and then he gets home. Why is my electric bill so high? I don't know. Pay that. Pay that. But relationships change. God has to bring new things into our lives so that we can change our roles. Listen, we are now the comforter and protector. 
And here's the thing, so many of these things that we see as difficult, we see as trauma, we see as horrible events in our lives, are actually God using us to prepare us to minister to other people. Who ministers to divorced people the best? People who've gone through that horrible word. Who ministers to people who have lost? The, the greatest person who ministers to other widows are widows. So many times we push back from the trauma, and we push back from the hard things, and we push back from the heartache that's in our lives, and we don't think, God, take this away. And God is trying to tell us, I am changing your role, and you are going to have a new ministry because of this pain. Maybe instead of pushing back from the pain, maybe we embrace what God has for us. I dare you to open your eyes, and your story will change because there's people all around you that need help. Number two. God gives David a new knowledge. Look at verse 21. This is something new for him. And Abathar showed David that Saul had slain the Lord's priest. If this was a movie, and I always see the Bible, and I always see these stories as movies and stuff, but if this was a movie, this would be the turning point in David's life. This is where the, the there would be a flashback in David's mind, and they would zoom up slowly on David's face as he starts to realize some things about Saul. Things about Saul's life that he had previously missed. Things that he lived in denial about and said, no, that, that, that couldn't be Saul. That's not my son. My son would never do that. My daughter would never do that. My husband, my wife would never do that. And these things are going on in David's mind, and he's finally seeing who Saul really was. And the reality is, he knew all along. He always knew who David, who Saul was. He always knew who he was. He finally had to admit it to himself. When you have true knowledge, when we have true knowledge about God and how he operates, three things. I just go and prepare this. I thought three things about how God operates and true knowledge. Number one, heaven is only through Jesus. There's only one God and only one mediator, the man Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen. If you're here today and you're thinking of going to, you're going to heaven because you're a good person, I'm sorry, there's going to be a lot of good people in a place called hell that Jesus used. If you're going because you're a Baptist, there's going to be a lot of Baptists in a place called hell that Jesus used. If you're going because you're thinking you're going to heaven because you're baptized, you are not. The only people, like I said in Titus 3, Titus 2.13, are the people who've put their full faith and trust in what Jesus did on the cruel Roman cross for us. He is the only way to heaven. And the only way you get your ticket is by asking Jesus to be your Savior, using your mouth and your heart. Number two, God's will starts with God's word. What's God's will for my life? I don't know. I don't, I don't know. You, you probably already know it. You just don't want to do it. But if you really want to find God's will, get into God's word. Most, 99% of what you need to do is already in the Bible. That 1%, should we move? Should we stay? What should we do? Some big issue might come up. Yeah, there's a few times those life-changing events are in your Bible, and, or they aren't going to be necessarily in the Bible. But I find when I'm in God's Word, when I read God's Word, God begins to speak to me about other things. If you want God's will, you've got to be in God's Word. And number three, God is unpredictable. You cannot prepare for God. There's a contemporary song that... Uh, uh, talks about the grace of God and the love of God and it, it, it calls it reckless and it, it overwhelms us and it just hits us like a hurricane or like a, one, I think one of the lines is, it's like a big sloppy kiss from God. I, don't, I was like, all right, whatever. What's wrong with victory in Jesus? But either way, uh, but God comes at you just like that though. Not necessarily with grace and love. <clears throat> sometimes God comes at you with a hurricane. You know why he comes at you like a hurricane sometimes? 
<clears throat> because when everything's perfect and peaceful, you don't talk to them. When everything's going well, you have a, you don't even, you have to adjust your Bible off. When things are going good, <clears throat> you're only at church at Christmas and Easter. You know what the scariest things for me? One of the scariest things for me is when one of our young couples shows up on a Sunday night that don't come. Uh-oh. What's going on? And then if they come on a Wednesday night and get part of the small group that they don't normally, I always pull one of them aside. What's going on? Because you don't normally come on Sunday night. You're barely here on Sunday morning. You definitely don't get involved in a small group. Something bad is happening in your life. You know why God brings sometimes unpredictable hurricane events in your life? Because it's the only time you ever talk to him. Amen? Hey, I, I'm the, <clears throat> full disclosure, my prayer life the week they told me I had cancer was a lot different than my prayer life when everything was going well. I found that things weren't as, some things weren't as important as it was to, to spend time with God, and I didn't have to schedule and fit him into my time. When that lady on the phone said, you have cancer, it seemed very easy to prioritize God and talking with him and being in his word. God brings unpredictable things because he wants us to be close to him. And listen, the TV preachers, this is a bunch of lie. I'm going to tell you this. Look, I, I don't want to say this to you. If you don't see anymore, I'm sorry. I'm not trying to hurt your feelings. But Joel Osteen's a false prophet. Amen. Joyce Meyer's a false prophet. Amen. Kenneth Copeland will spend an eternity separate from Jesus unless he repents because he doesn't know the Jesus of the Bible. They have this concept of telling you that God wants you to be rich, happy, and never sick, and never have any problems in your life. That is not the God of the Bible. That is not the Jesus of the cross. The Jesus of the cross and the God of the Bible is unpredictable, and sometimes he brings things into our life to use it for us. Amen? And you know why? Listen, it is through those deep valleys, and it's through those difficult times, I found out how precious he really was. Open your eyes. Get a full knowledge of who God really is in your life. I dare you. I dare you to go full in with Jesus. Number three. God gives David a new insight. Look at verse 22. And, and David said unto Abathar, I knew it that day when Dove the Edomite was there. Remember back in uh, chapter 21, Dove the Edomite saw uh, the high priest gave David the showbread and fed him and took care of him. David is basically saying, I knew that would happen. That he would surely tell Saul, I have occasioned the death of all the persons of thy father's house. What David is saying here, I have occasioned the death. I'm responsible. My actions have caused this to take place. You have the insight that David has. The insight that David has are the consequences of the flesh. The consequences of the flesh. It, it, it's the world, it's system, and everything it has to offer. And you know what? I'm going to emphasize this a lot at 11 o'clock because that's where all of our students and our younger adults are. And, and aren't you glad that somewhere around 60 you stop being tempted to sin? <laughs> Isn't it great that somewhere around 65 you're not tempted to ruin your life and destroy it, right? I remember Pastor Gregory telling me a story when he was in college. One of the professors is like 90 years old and everything. They had a question and answer from all these other young preachers. And one of them says to this 90-year-old preacher, he said, uh, when, do you can, when can you stop worrying about women? And this 90-year-old man said, when I get there, I'll let you know. <laughs> Listen to the world, the flesh, all of it, death, destruction, disease. And here's the thing. There's two things about insight. You can either learn by experience. Experience means you have to go through it. 
How many of us at 16, right? 17, 18, your parents told you something. Somebody's so much smarter than you. You don't know what you're talking about. You don't know, Dad. You don't know. <laughs> Dad knew, didn't he? Yeah. Or you can learn by example. Examples I learned from other people's mistakes. You know what real wisdom is? This is real wisdom. Wisdom is not having to learn by experience where you make the mistakes. I have sometimes have parents, well, I want my kids to learn through experience. I don't. I don't want them to have to learn through that. I don't want them to have to learn all the disease and destruction and all the pain that's out there in the world and then realize, oh, I guess the Bible was right. I guess mom and dad was right. I don't want them to learn from that. I want them to learn from examples of other people so that they don't have to go through that mistake. You're here today and you're thinking of leaving your wife. Let me just say this to you. I've seen enough people talk with enough people. Don't! Well, I don't like her. She probably doesn't like you either. <laughs> she probably has more reasons not to like you too. I'm going to tell you something. It's a hard path you're thinking about going down. Just stay married. Stay. You're thinking about, look, you're thinking about stepping out of, of your spouse. Don't. That 20 minutes, 30 minutes, an hour, that weekend, it's not worth losing everything you have. I one time told a man, you make this decision, just realize this, no one's coming to your theory. You're not invited to anything. Everybody's going to hate you and your family. And you know what? I'm going to struggle to like you myself. You can either learn from experience and try it yourself. Hey, let's do it. You need to learn by example. You see, you hear this and you think, yeah, those teenagers need to hear this. Those college kids need to hear this. I spent enough time in the ministry dealing with you adults. You adults need to hear this. Learn from someone else's mistakes and don't make them yourself. Open your eyes. God has new insight. It's an amazing thing. Women are... What a thing about my wife is really good. She can always spot a bad woman. Meaning that she has bad intentions and stuff like that. She's really good at that. I'm really good at spotting punks. I have punk radar. <laughs> if he's 16 to 25, I can spot a punk. Somewhere around 25, you start hiding it better as men. Somewhere between there, I can spot a punk. So, you ever know anybody who wants to get married before 25? Bring the guy to me and I'll let you know if he's a punk or not. <laughs> but sometimes she sees things and she's like, no, 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 that person, you don't need to be around that person. Open your eyes. God will give you insight. God will show you. You know what that insight is? It's that still small voice of the Holy Spirit that says, run. Don't do it. Don't do it. This is danger. But we don't do that. We want that, uh, what was that stupid show? Those kids, the family they had lost, the Robinson family. Lost in space. We want the robot going, morning, morning, Will Robertson, morning. The robot should have warned him about Dr. Spock. That dude was sketchy. But anyway. Whatever. No, if you know that. If you know what Dr. Spock was or Mr. Spock or whatever. Whatever! Number four. God gives David a new responsibility. Look at verse 23. Abide thou with me, fear not. For he that seeketh my life, seeketh thy life. 
For thou art the, for, but with me, thou shalt be a safeguard. Look at David's, throw this up here, Greg. Uh, you break the verse down, he says this, abide with me. What he's saying is there, I'll, pro I'll provide a place for you. Fear not. I'll provide a safe place for you. He that seeketh my life seeketh that. He says, I, we have a, we'll, I'll provide a place that's free from our mutual enemy. But thou, be thou, uh, uh, shall be in a safeguard. And I'll not find a place for you to belong to. You know what? Those are the things a parent's supposed to do. A, a, a place for your family. A place they can be safe in. A place that has a safety from a mutual enemy. A place that you can belong and be part of. Because that's what God does for us, isn't it? When you accept Christ as your personal Savior, God provides a place for you. Not only that, He provides a place that you can be safe from. And we can be safe from our mutual enemy. And that mutual enemy is Satan. And we can be safe from it. And we can be part of it. We are not just heirs, but we are joint heirs with Jesus. Parents, that's your responsibility. If you're here and you feel all alone and you feel like the world is crushing down on you, this is what God is offering. Take a risk. Take a chance on Jesus. I dare you. Open your eyes. The new responsibilities God has for you. I dare you. And watch how your story changes. Thanksgiving always reminds me of a few events in my life. One of them is about trying to get home from college. I was going to school in Springfield, Missouri, in college, and trying to get home. You can go off there, right? And uh, I had some adventures trying to get home for Thanksgiving. My third year in college, I flew because I'd had enough of it. And I drove myself to the airport in St. Louis, and I flew out, no problems. My second year, I tried to learn from my first year mistake, and who rode up there with a bunch of rednecks. That's what they were. Just good old boys going out to West Virginia and the eastern part of Ohio and stuff. Rode with them all the way to St. Louis to get to the airport. Their car broke down. And uh, yeah, and then we got to the airport just in time to watch my flight go away. The lady at the counter says, well, I get you another one, but it's tomorrow. This is pre-9-11, so I spent the entire day, and excuse me, the entire night in the airport at Lambert Field in St. Louis. Wandering around, I had two suitcases because I was bringing luggage home to have stuff washed. My mom do my laundry, so I had to get one of those carts. I looked like a bag lady. <laughs> Before 9/11, do you want to know what happened at an airport? They shut everything down, and all the homeless people came in because it was me and a bunch of homeless people. One guy tried to tell me about conspiracies and everything else. I just listened to him and stuff, and uh, just wandered around the airport the entire night with one eye open because there was a lot of sketchy people inside an airport. Before 9/11, but my first time was the time that started it all. Uh, trying to get back, and I was with my grandmother at the time, and still does, lives down in southern Indiana. Got a ride with this one guy, and he was bringing his friend home. And they lived in Cincinnati, and they were going right by that area, so they were going to drive me up here, and they come down and pick me up at Thanksgiving Day and stuff. And I rode with these two guys, and they were two, uh, I didn't really know them. They were two music majors. Rodney was a good guy. Jason talked about this. <laughs> you think I'm exaggerating? I am not exaggerating. <laughs> These two guys, they could sing and everything. They could tell you when you were off key. Everything. They could tell you what harmony was. And I had no idea. 
And so I'm riding with them my first year. And somewhere again, the car breaks down <coughs> outside of St. Louis. Some guy fixed it, Jerry rigged something together, just said, you have no idea what you meet on the road, especially if you're driving through Missouri, up on Interstate 44, outside St. Louis. Nothing but small towns, area, nicest people on the earth and everything and stuff like this. There's a guy who got a big old wad of chewgum and just talking to us, it's like nine of spit. Yeah, we'll run. Can't go over 50, though. Okay. So we had to drive across Illinois at 50 miles an hour at night. And then somewhere around the end of it, somewhere around the end of it, just as we crossed into Indiana, there's a place called Terre Haute. It started going. <laughs> and we just coasted into the first exit off Terre Haute, Indiana. I think it's exit four. Every time I go by, I say a little prayer against it. <laughs> we coasted off and we're pulled in. We were there at the only place you could park, and it was in the middle of the night, it was about one o'clock. We pulled in, we pulled in from McDonald's, and McDonald's at one o'clock, right as we pulled in, turned its lights out. <laughs> the car died when we started. There was the only other place, and it was cold and everything, and we had no cell phones or anything else, and so Rodney gets out and calls his dad, who's in Cincinnati, he's gonna have to drive all the way to Terre Haute, Indiana. So that means about at least four hours in this car with these two dudes, and I'm not closing my eyes on. <laughs> there was one place we could go. I don't want to describe it because we're in polite company, but it was one of those places before the internet where truckers might go to. That was our one option. And we could have gone in there, but I knew the moment my mom saw me, she would have known. Where were you? And I knew that's, that's where I would die, and that's where the police report would be, or Jesus would come back, and every time my mom says, is that where you want to be where Jesus comes back? And I'd be there. Just trying, so there I was. We're in this foreign car that broke down. I think it was a Toyota Push. <laughs> and I'm in the back seat, and there's these two dudes who are, Rodney's a good guy, he married a woman, and he's uh, pastoring in uh, Massachusetts now, and everything, I don't know what happened to Jason, I think he's a Dolly Parton personator, I don't know. But there's Jason and stuff, and I'm in the back seat, and I'm 19 and everything, I barely know these guys, and I'm in the back with all the luggage, and I am not going to sleep, and the car, the heat is off, and it is like 15 degrees and plummeting. And I spent four hours in there just shaking and shivering and thanking God that there has to be a better way. You know what? There has to be a better way than the way your life is going. The way you're doing things, the way things are going, the way it's taking place. And what a glorious moment it was when the headlights of Rodney's dad got there. And he pulled up. I didn't even care it was a GM. <laughs> he pulled up in this nice GM car and I got in the backseat and I had heat. And I fell asleep and he woke me up at my grandma's house in Deputy, Indiana and stuff. Seeing my little grandma who was, when I was a kid, was about this tall, she was about this tall now and stuff. <laughs> hugging her and she had me come in and fix me dinner and all this other stuff. It was a glorious appearance. I tell you, that's what Jesus is like. Everything's a disaster. Everything's just, this is not how you had it planned. Your story is going down the wrong path. Why don't you take a chance on Jesus? I mean, you'll try just about everything. Why don't you try Jesus for once? Because one day, one day is coming. One day is coming. He's coming physically, and he's going to part those clouds, and he's coming. That blessed appearance is going to take place. 
But you know what? Up until that day, I'm glad he's with me. And that he never leaves me nor forsakes me. And he's running my life story. Why don't you make a change today? I dare you. Every head bowed, every eye closed.